We're in Genesis chapter 3 this morning. We'll be looking at verses 7 through 12. We looked at Eve last week in the first six verses of chapter 3. Eve is in conversation with Satan himself. Satan has taken the form of a serpent. And he is openly conversing with Eve. And that is a rare thing. For Satan, we only hear him speak three times in Scripture. And of the three times that we hear him speak, only once is he speaking with man. The other two times, Satan is speaking to God. In the book of Job, Satan appears before God in heaven. God questions Satan about where he's been and what he's been up to. Then God mentions the faithfulness of Job. In the gospel, Satan speaks with Jesus when he's tempting Jesus. He tells Jesus, you know, if you're the son of man, you don't have to be hungry. Turn these stones into bread. Uh, If you're the son of God, cast yourself down from this high place. And really the final and obviously the most difficult temptation is you can avoid the cross, Jesus. Just worship me. And on several occasions, we find Jesus in the New Testament when he has cast out demons. Uh, The demons will say something of the fact, we know who you are, Jesus, the Most High. And Jesus never allows them to speak. He says, be muzzled or put a lid on it. (laughs) My personal belief is God limits Satan's access to mankind He even limits Satan's access to himself. So let me read you a passage from the book of Job before we get into our text in Genesis. Job 1, verse 6 and 7. Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present them before the Lord, present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came with them. And the Lord said to Satan, From where do you come? So Satan answered the Lord and said, from going to and fro on the earth, from walking back and forth on it. And basically, God is asking Satan, what have you been up to? Give an account of yourself. Then in Job chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, again, there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan came also among them to present himself before the Lord. And the Lord said to Satan, from where do you come? Satan answered the Lord and said, from going to and fro on the earth, from walking back and forth on it. In both of these passages, Satan must answer God as to what he's been up to. Satan does not have the privilege that you and I have, and that is we can openly approach God anytime we desire through prayer. That is a great blessing, by the way. 
We don't have to make appointments. Uh, if we could be given a time or an appointment where we had to approach God, say, you're given Monday morning, 3.15 a.m., and you have two minutes. No, we're not limited to that. We can approach God any time. Tremendous blessing. But Satan, he has to give an account for his behavior. And he must answer God's questions. He doesn't have a choice to answer. He must answer God. In the wilderness temptation of Christ, Jesus, the very first verses of that is, Jesus is led by the Spirit, even harder than led. He is drove by the Spirit out in the wilderness to be tempted of Satan. And we see that the Spirit of God is instituting the temptation of Christ. And Satan, he is simply doing his little dirty deeds at the command of God. And here in Genesis chapter 3, Satan is being used of God to tempt Eve. He was also used to tempt Jesus. Eve fails miserably. Jesus is completely victorious. And we see Eve, she falls to the temptation of Satan. And the reason she falls, or one of the reasons basically, is she does not know God's word. Jesus our perfect example of being tempted and never falling to temptation, never Jesus never succumbing to temptation, we hear Jesus quoting the word of God to Satan. That should be our clue how to combat Satan. We have Jesus giving all of mankind the way to overcome temptation. And it is simply knowing God's word and applying God's word. That's how you overcome temptation. Now, understand that Jesus could have commanded Satan to be toast when he was tempting Jesus. He could have said, be toast, and he would have been. But Jesus, wanting to give us an example, wanting us also to be victorious over temptation, he comes against Satan each and every time it is written. And we have the written word of God to lead us, to guide us, to help us when we're tempted. So let's pick up this morning's passage, Genesis chapter 3, Verse 7 through 11. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. And they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Then the Lord called to Adam and said to him, Where are you? And so he said, I heard your voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. 
And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree which I commanded you that you should not eat? We'll stop there for a moment. Adam and Eve, their eyes are now open. They understand that they are carnal. They understand that they are now in a sinful position or relationship with God. Sin has brought about knowledge of their depravity. It has brought knowledge of their nakedness. And Adam, he's ingenious here. He, he sews fig leaves together to cover their nakedness. That's kind of creative. But sin has brought the knowledge along with its shame. Sin brings shame. Today, even in the most barbaric societies, man covers his nakedness. It's an inherent need to cover our nakedness that goes all the way back to Adam and Eve. But the sowing of fig leaves, sowing leaves together, isn't that so environmentally correct? I mean, come on. It's very green. It happens to be very uncomfortable, too. Fig leaves happen to be very prickly, very itchy, and you don't dare rub them up against the raw skin. When, le when figs are harvested, you make sure you wear a long sleeve shirt to keep that itchy leaf away from the skin. No one wants to come in contact with those itchy leaves. So the sowing of fig leaves by Adam and Eve to cover their nakedness, think with us here, it's the first attempt by man of self-imposed penance. And we have that built-in desire to make things right in and of ourselves, to do something to again gain God's favor. So what do we do? What is our reaction today when we sin? Do we try to show God how sorry we are for our sin before we repent? I've done that. I'll be good for a few hours, maybe a day or two, and then I'll approach God because I've been good for a little while. You know what the grace of God says? It says, come, repent, enjoy again a right standing with me. Religion, any religion, the doctrines of men, they declare, do something to show God you're sincere about not sinning again. In other words, work your way towards God. The trouble with that religion, any religion again, is we do sin again. And the whole penance thing begins all over. 
Back in the dark days of Christianity, back in the, the 1500s and so forth, when self-imposed punishments were popular, and they were very popular, they would wear a, a silis. And that was an undergarment made of coarse animal hair. And it caused you to itch. It made you want to scratch. It was an irritant, and they would wear it next to their skin. And it was supposed to be a reminder to anyone that wore this silis that a person was very sinful and they need to punish themselves. And it all began with Adam and Eve sewing fig leaves together. But we have Adam and Eve. In their carnal knowledge, they now know good from evil, and they're hiding from God among the trees. And then we hear God's voice, a voice of mercy and grace. And it calls out to Adam and Eve, where are you? And we have God seeking out sinful man. And it isn't like God doesn't know where they are. God knows where Adam and Eve are. God is not ignorant of their hiding place, nor is God ignorant of their sin. Where are you? It is a passionate call from God asking Adam and Eve, basically, what have you done? What have you done, Adam? What have you done, Eve? Adam replies, I heard your voice, I was afraid, I was naked, so I hid from you. And we have their innocence lost. Fellowship with God is broken and fear rushes in. God is seeking Adam and Eve who are hiding from him. We have God initiating, wanting to restore fellowship with his creation. But that's our God. That's the way he is. Before Jesus went to the cross, he told us of one of the conditions of the cross. He said, no one takes my life. I'd lay it down. Jesus went willingly to the cross. He despised it, but he still went willingly. You ever have a child give you a enlightening moment? Well, a few years ago, my first grandchild, Gracie, my first born granddaughter, she's around four or five and we're riding. I'm taking her back home and she's in the back seat of the car in a car seat and we're talking now gracie's about four or five and she says papa what kept jesus on the cross so i begin to describe how a sinful man drove nails in the hands and the feet of jesus and she stops me no papa why didn't jesus just come down uh-oh, this is a little deeper than I thought it was going to be. <laughs> and out of the mouth of this child came one of the great questions of life. 
Why does Jesus love us so much to stay on the cross? And Gracie, at this very young age, wanted to know why did Jesus choose to suffer and stay on that cross? So I tried to explain to Gracie, Jesus had to suffer for all of man's sins. And it was my privilege to attempt to explain to her the good news of the gospel. And how Jesus was held on the cross by his love. Not those nails. It was his love that kept him there. And here we are in the garden. And we see the first man. Perfect environment. Perfect creation. And they sin. But God is not going to allow that sin to dominate his creation. So God takes the initiative and he seeks out sinful, disobedient man. That, by the way, is what separates Christianity from any other religion. In Christianity, God seeks out man. He makes provision for us to have a right relationship with him. So, how do we hear Jesus, or how do we hear God saying, where are you? Is God angry? Is he speaking in a harsh voice to Adam and Eve? Or is it a passionate, where are you? God is crying out to man, wanting man to confess his sins, repent. And God asks Adam, who told you? that you were naked. And then he says, have you eaten from the forbidden tree? Well, God knew he had. But Adam's new carnal understanding of good and even, good and evil tells him, I am naked. I am open and bare before my creator. And Adam's sin Adam's nakedness causes him to be afraid and hide from God. I think at this time, Adam's head is spinning. Everything has come upon him so quickly. I believe he's trying to make heads and tails of everything that has happened. And he's been busy. He's been sewing fig leaves together. <laughs> and he's guilty. He's guilty from the sin He's guilty of disobeying God, and it has brought fear into Adam. And Adam reacts to that fear, and he tries to cover his nakedness. Our sins, your sins, my sins, they bring about a similar reaction. Peter, Peter in his notorious denial Three times in the, uh, the high priest's courtyard, he denies Jesus. And then he hears that rooster crow, doesn't he? What does Peter do? He goes out and he weeps bitterly. He weeps because of his sin. So Jesus 
after the cross, after his resurrection, who is one of the first people he seeks out? Peter. Jesus appears to Peter. He wants to know he's forgiven. Adam and Eve, they hide. Peter flees. So how does modern man, how do we, speaking of unbelievers, how do we handle the guilt of sin? What is our coping mechanism? How do we get through our days apart from Christ? God has asked Adam, have you eaten from the tree which I commanded you that you should not eat? Now, wouldn't it have been so simple if Adam would have just said yes? But he doesn't. It would have been, I think it would have been better for Adam to have said, yes, I did. But Adam, being Adam, he makes excuses. Now let me read verse 12. Then the man said, the woman you gave to be with me, she gave me of the tree and I ate. I firmly believe Adam's excuses forces God to deal with him in a more direct, perhaps even a more strict manner. When we're confronted with our sins, a peculiar thing happens within us. Usually our first inclination is to make an excuse for our sin or blame others. Just like Adam did when he dropped the Adam bomb. <laughs> Listen to Adam. God, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me of the tree and I ate. What else can I do, God? It's your fault and Eve's. I'm just being Adam. And Adam's excuses, Adam's bomb is repeated over and over by all of sinful man in all of society. Have you ever heard? I can't help it. God made me this way. <laughs> probably use that one myself happens to be one of the great excuses of the homosexual community it's not my fault that I'm attracted to the same sex God made me this way really how about an adulterer or a fornicator who cries out the same thing God knows that I'm weak in that area so why does he allow me to be tempted that way why does that young girl at the office flirt with me? You ever talk to somebody that smokes marijuana? <laughs> Why did God allow it to grow naturally if it's bad? Here's one. God gave me a good job. I work hard. I'm supposed to spend that money on myself. Here's one for golfers. Why did God give me such a good golf swing if he didn't want me to play golf? Don't say anything, Eric. <laughs> 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 
Eric looks at me and he said, he didn't give you a good swing. <laughs> but I try, Eric, I try. <laughs> now let me go to meddling. I've been talking about things. Why does chocolate taste so good if God doesn't want me to overindulge? You see, sin is desirable. It's pleasurable. It's pleasant to the eye. And why is it that way? Because there's temptation there. We're to abstain from, from any sin. And understand this. Temptation to sin, it has to be pleasurable. It has to have its lure. It has to have its pull. Because if it didn't, none of us would sin. And for there to be a true choice there, sin must be pleasurable. Adam's sin did not take God by surprise. Maybe it took Adam by surprise, but it didn't take God by surprise. Have you ever found yourself saying, how could I have done that? What made me say what I said? What was I thinking? How often do you think Adam said that? Mm. Why did I have to eat of that tree? We're a lot like Adam, you see. Next week, we're going to look at the curse that was placed on Eve. We're going to look at the curse that was put on the serpent. And we're going to look at the curse upon Adam. But there's good news here today. God is God, full of mercy and grace, wanting, desiring to make atonement for all who will repent of their sins. That is what God was looking for when he come to Adam and Eve and he said, where are you and what have you done? God wanted to restore Adam and Eve. The very same day that they sinned, God came to them and said, what have you done? And that was great for Adam and Eve, but how about us today? Well, we read in the book of Revelation, Jesus stands at the door of our heart, knocking and asking to come in and have fellowship with us. Jesus wanting to be our Savior, our Redeemer. And so the question becomes, will we invite him in or will we make excuses? Be quick to repent. Repentance is a good thing. We have the opportunity to turn from our sins and repent. We do not have to continue going the wrong way in opposition to our Lord. We have repentance. Take advantage of it. It's a good thing. So with that, let me get you to stand and we'll close in prayer. Father God, 
We want to learn to hate sin as you hate sin. We want to avoid sin. We want to avoid temptation by knowing your word. But Lord, you know also that we're very weak and that we fall and that we do sin. And Lord, when we do, cause us to repent quickly, realizing that you have paid the price for our sins. Let us just be quick to run into your grace and mercy and allow you to restore that relationship with yourself. We cherish that, Lord. We appreciate having a right standing with you through the blood of Jesus upon the cross. Thank you so much for loving us so much. So, Lord, we pray that we would learn to be quick to repent, know your word to avoid temptation, and live in a right relationship with you. So help us by your spirit, Lord. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.